Isn't God good? If you have your Bible, want to turn with me, I'm not going to ask you to stand, but we're going to be in the book of Ruth again this morning. We're continuing a 10-week series, our 10-lesson series on Ruth, uh, kind of a Bible biography series. We may do several of these through this year, and uh, Ruth is where we have begun. And in our first lesson, which was last Sunday, uh, we learned that Ruth's story begins in the middle of famine, failure, and fatalities. It was really what we covered last week was the low point in the story. Beginning with our text this morning, the first rays of light start to break through the darkness as Naomi, that's Ruth's mother-in-law, makes the decision to return to Bethlehem. Ruth refuses to be persuaded to go back to her old life. And so she goes with her. That's the heart of today's lesson. Interestingly enough, last Sunday was the day of Pentecost. It was Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost was a religious celebration that memorialized the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Pentecost originally celebrated that place where God wrote his law on tablets of stone and gave them to his people. Now, when we celebrate the day of Pentecost, we're celebrating that outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the upper room (coughs) where the same God who wrote his law on tablets of stone turned and wrote them in the hearts of men and women. (coughs) Forgive me. I may have to have something to drink. I haven't had this problem until just now, but I feel like I'm going to cough about every time I take a breath. So just bear with me. But the, the Pentecost, we celebrate the day of Pentecost as a day when he poured out his spirit, when the God who wrote his law on tablets of stone wrote them in our hearts. Either way, Pentecost is a celebration of conversion. The giving of the law in the Old Testament was a way of bringing Israel into covenant with God. It was a point of conversion. In a sense, Israel was converted to following God at Mount Sinai. Now that's significant because in Jewish circles, whenever they celebrated Pentecost, the story of Ruth was regarded as a story about conversion, and they traditionally read it aloud at the Feast of Pentecost. They did that to remind Jews of their commitment to God. So today's text is about that passage, which is considered to be Ruth's conversion. It ends with the most iconic verses in the book of Ruth, one of the most memorable passages in all of Scripture. The beautiful and poetic passage of the first words of Ruth that are recorded in the book of Ruth have come to symbolize her conversion, her the turning point in her life. That's where we see her rejecting the idol gods of her youth and pledging herself to the one true God of Israel. We'll cover in the first chapter, verses 6, verses six through 18 this morning, but I'm going to cover them rather than reading the whole text all at once. I'm just going to go a couple of verses at a time and talk about it. That's okay. Amen? Say amen if it's okay with you. Amen. amen. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, says, Then she, she being Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. 
Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. So our story begins with Naomi hearing the good news, the, the fact that God's grace has brought an end to the famine that was in Bethlehem. Remember, this story started because of a famine. It started because of a, a man named Elimelech who took his family away from the, the promised land, seeking refuge from a famine. And then disaster met them in the land of Moab. But now Naomi hears the good news uh, that there's bread again in Jerusalem, in Israel, in Bethlehem. Amen? How typical of a conversion experience. The gospel is considered to be the good news that Jesus uh, came to save us from our sins. Amen. The good news that arrived at Naomi's ears was the fact that God had not forgotten their, his people, even though they had sinned against him, even though they were facing the judgment of God. God made a way for them to return to him. Amen. He made a way of restoration, and he brought back his blessings. Amen. So that's the choice that forever changes her life. That's the choice that 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 she 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 decides Naomi decides I'm going to go back, I'm going to return, I'm going to leave behind uh, the place where I had found myself and I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, back to where the bread is, back to where the blessing is, back to where I left God. Amen. But whenever Naomi makes up her mind to make that journey, she doesn't go alone. She's not by herself. Her daughters-in-law decide to go with her. They decide to be a part of her journey. So our lesson this morning in many ways is a continuation of last week. Failure doesn't have to be final. But in order to move from judgment to mercy, you've got to be willing to arise and turn towards home. You've got to be willing to leave where you are and go back where you left. Amen? And so Naomi has to make that choice. She has to make that decision. It, it may be a long journey. It may be a difficult journey. But when Naomi heard the good news that there was a chance to rise from the ruins, to return to what she had left behind, she acted in faith. Uh, and with an uncertain future before her, not knowing how it would turn out, not knowing what, what, what it would come of it, uh, she arose and she she turned towards home. Uh, amen. The longest journey starts with one small step. Uh, amen. I'm here to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning, you'll stay in Moab until you take the first step towards home. Amen. You'll stay lost. You'll stay where you are. You'll stay in the depth of the despair. You'll stay caught in the troubles that have arrested you until you make up your mind uh, to take a step towards right, uh, until you make up your mind to take a step towards mercy and grace. And that's the good news uh, that's in this house this morning. Uh, there's mercy and there's grace uh, in the house of the Lord. There is hope. Amen. There is a reason to return. Naomi has lost everything in Moab. It is a detour that has cost her everything. But that didn't stop her from going back to Bethlehem. 
You may find yourself in a place where you've made bad decisions, and it's cost you dearly and deeply. It may have cost you everything. It may have robbed you of your peace and your joy, but that doesn't mean that it's too late for redemption. That doesn't mean that there's no value in going back. There's an old adage that says that, Brother Donnie, there's no need to close the barn door after the horses have already gotten out. But faith says, close it anyway. Go ahead and obey because a single act of obedience is all it takes to start a journey from ruin to redemption. And it's never too late to start that journey. As long as there's breath in your body, as long as you're still living and breathing, there's still time for mercy to work. How much better Naomi's life might have been if she'd gone back years earlier? How much happier she might have been if she'd gone back to the house of God while her family was still alive? But at this point in the story, Naomi can't afford to say, well, since I've lost everything, I'm just going to stay here until I lose my life. Naomi has to come to the understanding it may not have been the best time. It may not have been the optimal time, but it's never too late to rededicate and recommit yourself to God. Amen? Go ahead and close the bar door. You may be surprised how much is left in the barn that hasn't been lost yet. Amen? Now to go to Bethlehem, Naomi went out of Moab. That illustrates the principle of separation. There, there cannot be a returning without a separation. If heaven is to be gained, then the world must be shunned. If you're going to eat at the Father's table, if you're the prodigal son, you're going to go home and enjoy the blessings of the Father's house, then you've got to leave behind the pig pen. you got to make up your mind to go. Uh, scripture commands us come out of the world. Uh, and Naomi did just that. Uh, she went out of the place where she was. Uh, she went out from that land where she had journeyed to. I come to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning, don't stay where you are just because that's where you are. Amen. Wherever the blessings of God are, that's where you need to be. Uh, wherever the, the goodness of God is flowing, that's where you need to be. Amen. There are too many people today that think that you can gain the blessings and gain the goodness of God, but stay in Moab. Too many people want the Father's table, but they want it in the pig's pen. It's a view that says that you can be converted and still stay in the world. You can be converted and still be a part of the same stuff you were a part of before. You can be converted and live for God, but, but you don't have to show it on the outside. It doesn't have to show up in the way you live from day to day. Nothing could ever be further from the truth. The road to redemption will always take you out of Moab. It will always take you away from that place where your sins have left you. And if you're going to go back to Bethlehem, you've got to go out of Moab. The scripture says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whatever we do, we can't become so attached to the world uh, that it takes us away from the blessings of God. That when we find ourselves in that place where conviction settles in, uh, amen, and we weigh the difference between where we are and where we need to be, amen. If you love the world, uh, if you love the things of the world, you're going to stay right there. 
Amen. But Naomi made up her mind. I'm going to go back. I'm going to leave behind this place where I find myself. Last week we talked about Elimelech's influence over his family. His bad choice affected them. And ultimately they paid the price right along with him. But now we see the reversal of that. When Naomi determines to return to Bethlehem, her daughters-in-law determined to go with her. Just as your sin affects so many around you, just as it has a wider reach than just you, so does your return to the grace of God. When you choose to live right, when you choose to turn your heart back to home, when you choose to make that journey back into the blessings of God, it affects those you love. Amen. They may not follow you immediately. They may not immediately get up and go where you're going, but you can rest assured they see what you're doing, and they're impacted by your decision. So Ruth and Orpah, they said, wherever you go, Naomi, we're going to go too. If you're going to Bethlehem, we're going to Bethlehem. And we celebrate that fact. We celebrate the fact that Orpah and Ruth wanted to go with Naomi. But the hard truth of the matter is that it posed a real problem for Naomi. You see, when Naomi returned to Bethlehem, she went out full, but she's going back empty. She doesn't have anything there. She doesn't have any provision there. She doesn't have any stores built up there. She doesn't even have a home to go live in. And when she goes back to Bethlehem, she's going back as a pauper. She's going back as a, as, as, as a beggar, if you will. She's hoping to find someone who will have mercy on her, someone who will be willing to have pity on an old widow, uh, someone who might be able to, maybe a family member or an old-time friend uh, who wouldn't mind too much. Uh, to have one more mouth around the table uh, and perhaps maybe for a little household help, maybe a little help with the chores, uh, won't mind to feed her and care for her and take care of her. But that gets exponentially harder. It gets harder for Naomi to survive as a widow if she's accompanied by her two daughters-in-law. Amen. You might find someone who's willing to feed a poor widow. But you're a whole lot less likely. Those, those two more mouths to feed would be enough to close many doors that might have been open to Naomi. And Naomi realizes this. So instead of rejoicing in her godly influence, instead of rejoicing in the fact that, that her daughters-in-law want to go with her out of Moab, Naomi determines to persuade them to stay in Moab because that's what's best for Naomi. That's, that's the best way for her to survive, is to get them to stay. And so in verse 8, it says, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead, that being their dead husbands, and me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and, lifted, and they lifted up their voice and wept. 
So Naomi's first appeal for her daughters-in-law to return to Moab. They've already started the journey together. We don't know where they are on the journey. They're probably not to Bethlehem yet, but they're not where they started anymore. Amen. Naomi's been walking this road and pondering in her mind what awaits her, and she's realized, I've got to get rid of these two. Amen. These two are going to be a hindrance to me. These two are going to be a liability to me. I've got to get them to go back home. And so she decides to try to get them to turn back. And whenever she does, the words she used contains a unique turn of phrase. She encourages them to return to their mother's house. That's not the normal way to describe one's childhood home. As a matter of fact, the common description in the Bible is your father's house, not your mother's house. The phrase mother's house only appears three other places in Scripture. And everywhere that that phrase is found, it's found in the context of love and marriage. So Naomi's language was, it was intentional. It was purposeful. She was intentionally releasing her daughters-in-law to go get married again. Go back to your mother's house. That's where you live with your mother. She taught you how to be a bride. She, she taught you about those womanly things, if you will. And that's where you waited for a husband to come and get you. Don't go back to daddy's house as a widow and fall his mercy. Go back to mama's house and find you a new husband. Find you somebody to care for you. Find you somebody to provide for you. Find you somebody to watch over you and take you in. And, and, th and that's further confirmed in the very next verse where uh, she tells them that they should go find their rest in the homes of their future husbands. Amen. There's, if you go back home to mom's house, if you go back to where you came from, there, there'll be a man surely somewhere that'll, that'll take you in. And in that day and age, uh, oh, that's what a widow had to have. She had to have a man who would take her in because she wasn't going to be able to provide for herself. She wasn't going to be able to, 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 to make anything of herself. She had to have a man who could take her in and, and watch over her and protect her and give her peace and security. So basically what Naomi is saying is that the only way these daughters of Moab could ever hope to find peace and security in their lives is by finding themselves new husbands that can provide for them. And that's more likely to happen to them if they remain in Moab, if they return to their mother's house, than if they travel to Bethlehem with their mother-in-law who has no house. That's the contrast that Naomi puts in place. But in verse 10, we see their answer. They said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So Naomi's daughters-in-law were not easily persuaded. Instead, they declare their determination to, to go back with Naomi, to return to her people. That statement in itself is truly remarkable. It demonstrates that after all the grief, after all the heartache, after all the hard times, these two young women uh, ha have shared with their mother-in-law enough that they, they're more attached to her than they are with their own people and so they will not return to their mother's house their loyalty is to Naomi at this point and that loyalty is greater to them than their desire to remarry and return to the life they left behind so Naomi tries again 
She tries to convince her daughters-in-law to turn back, but this time she confronts them with a prospect of how difficult it's going to be to remarry once they get to Bethlehem. This is what she tells them in verse 11. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. So Naomi's making her point. It's a point that you wouldn't understand or you wouldn't really fully grasp if you didn't know the law of Moses. Because there's a clause in the law of Moses that says, if a man marries a woman and then dies before he has a son, this is the, the place where both Orpah and Ruth find themselves. They've married a Hebrew man who's bound by the law, and he has died, but they don't have a son by him. And the law says that in that situation, the widow is forbidden to remarry outside the family. She has to marry within the family. Her husband's brother is supposed to take her as a wife, and he is supposed to be to her a husband. And the first son that she bears to this new husband is to be accounted to the dead brother, is to be accounted to her first husband. It's to be seen as his son. That way that the dead man's legacy, that way the dead man's lineage, and, and most importantly, his widow, are cared for and protected and remembered in a world that so easily forgets the dead. And so the law there was intended to preserve the family lineage. But now Ruth and Orpah find themselves caught in a trap. If they go back to Bethlehem, if they go back to the people, the Hebrews, if they go with Naomi to her destination, the very law is going to forbid them from ever marrying again. This is a strong argument. If Ruth and Orpah continue the road they're on, they're... Very slim chance they'll ever get married again. First of all, Naomi has no other sons. There is no brother to step in and marry them. Secondly, Naomi tells them, I'm too old to remarry. I, I could, I, I'm not going to be able to find another husband. Then she tells them, but even if I did remarry, even if I had a husband tonight, even if we immediately had sons, would you wait around long enough for them to get old enough? By the time they get old enough to marry you, you're going to be old widows yourselves. You're going to be in the same situation that I'm in. It would be better for you if you stay in Moab. It would be better for you if you go back to your mother's house. She does her best to convince him it would be utterly foolish for them to return with her. If they do, they're likely to never marry again. But if they stay in Moab... They're not going to be bound by the law of Moses. If they stay in Moab, they can do things after the customs of their own people. They can remarry again without any problem. Now, interestingly enough, there's some foreshadowing going on here. If you're familiar with the story of Ruth, if you're not, I'm going to give a spoiler alert. I'm going to spoil the story. But if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, you know that Ruth's story is a story of romance. It's a story of love. It's a story of marriage. And as impossible as it seems to Naomi, 
the very law that she quotes as the reason why Ruth should go back. And the reason why it will be hopeless for her in Bethlehem is the very law that enables Ruth to ultimately marry the man of her dreams and be grafted into the lineage of King David and even Jesus Christ. But Naomi's not focused on the possibilities of the law working in their favor. Instead, she's focused on the virtual impossibility that the law would ever bring anything good to these daughters of Moab. She's determined to get them to turn back. She's determined to get them to go back where they came from so she can go back to Bethlehem alone because that's what would be better for her. In order to further emphasize the folly of going with her, Naomi reminds her daughters-in-law that the hand of the Lord is against her, that the divine hand, that same hand that struck Egypt with plagues and destroyed a generation of Israelites in the wilderness, uh, that hand is stretched out against Naomi. Uh, and at this point, we clearly begin to see that Naomi views the death of her husband and the death of her sons uh, as the judgment of God against her because of the choices that they made. And she's warning her daughters-in-law, not only are there not husbands waiting for you in Bethlehem, but there is judgment waiting because if you go with me, the hand of God is against me. Amen? But she couldn't have been more wrong. Scripture says in Psalm 30 and 5 of the Lord, His anger endureth but a moment, and in His favor is life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's a broken Naomi who went out full and comes back empty, who's going back to the house of God. She doesn't have any hope for anything but further judgment, but maybe she'll have something to eat while she's facing the wrath of God. She does not understand yet that the very wrath of God has been turned away and the love and mercy of God is about to meet her. Amen. God's judgment is certain. It is sure. But his wrath doesn't have to be final. He always provides an opportunity for repentance. And Naomi doesn't realize it yet, but when she heard the good news that there was bread in Bethlehem, that gospel news, the good news, was her invitation to go back to the grace and the mercy of God. And when she made that choice to go back to Bethlehem, she began a journey back into the blessings, a journey down a road of redemption that would lead her back to the house of God because she responded to that good news, because she changed her direction. She's now walking into the blessings of God, not the judgment of God. Verse 14 says that after she finished with all that, Ruth and Orpah and Naomi together, they it says, and they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Now, at first blush, it appears that Naomi's argument has once again fallen on deaf ears. For a second time, the three women lift their voices and cry and weep together. But this time, Naomi's arguments have, at least in part, accomplished what she desired. As they finish weeping together... Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and turns back to Boab. You don't see it in this verse. You see she kissed her. We'll see that in the next verse. She's going away now back to Moab. 
But Ruth, Ruth remains firm. She remains devoted to her mother-in-law. She clings to her. She grabs a hold of her and says, I'm not going to leave you. The whole purpose of this narrative at the beginning of the book of Ruth is to bring Ruth to the forefront of the story. We started with Elimelech. And now we're talking about Naomi. But the goal is to get to Ruth. And this is the point where Ruth begins to distinguish herself. Orpah made the safe choice. Orpah made the easy choice. Orpah took the road that seemed to be best. But Ruth is determined to live out the consequences of the decision that she made when she married a Hebrew boy. She will not abandon her mother-in-law, no matter what that means for her future. So now we get Naomi's final appeal in verse 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So as Orpah walks away, Naomi tries one more time to discourage Ruth. She points at Orpah walking down that familiar road that leads back to home. And she encourages Ruth, why don't you go with her? But her interpretation of Orpah's actions is remarkable in that it goes a long way to set up the vitally important decision that Ruth is about to make. Naomi tells Ruth Orpah is going back to her people and to her God. Now, in Naomi's mind, she's drawn the contrast. If you go with me, you're bound to the law of Moses and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But you don't have to do that. You can stay here with your people and serve your God. And so she makes that, that contrast, but what she doesn't realize, she, she's just trying to rid herself of a, the burden of another mouth to feed. What she doesn't realize is that she has brought the choice that Ruth is faced with into the stark clarity of truth. She's the one that made it about God. She's the one that made it about, about religion. Naomi boils it all down to a choice between the gods of Moab and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And hearing Naomi's command to return to Moab for the third and final time as she watches her sister walk down the road and go back home. Ruth stood between a rock and a hard spot. She was about to make the choice that would define the rest of her life. And Ruth rises to the challenge and she pledges herself to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Verse 16 says, and Ruth said, this is the first time we hear Ruth's voice in the whole story. This is the first words of hers that are recorded in Scripture. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. It's the first time in this story we actually hear the voice of Ruth, and her words are among the most memorable of all of Scripture. Few passages in the Bible match this passage for sheer poetic beauty. 
and the extraordinary courage that it expresses in Ruth. It's one of the literary gems of Scripture. It's often been set to music, and they, they play it and sing it at weddings and, and places of where, where couples are coming together to show the, the devotion that they have one for another, to show their commitment to each other in marriage. Ruth begins first with a plea for Naomi, don't tell me to go back anymore. Don't tell me to leave you anymore. I've heard all I want to hear about that. The decision's made. I've settled the issue. And in order to demonstrate that, she makes three significant declarations of commitment. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. That first declaration of Ruth is a, a pledge of commitment to Naomi. You're my mother-in-law. I'm bound to you. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to live where you live. She expresses her resolve to, to stay with Naomi no matter where the path may lead. It, it may be a rough path or it may be a smooth path. They may find the mercy of God or they may find the judgment of God, but she's not going to turn aside. She is determined to stick with Naomi. The second declaration is the critical one. She says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. In other words, don't tell me to return to my people again. Don't tell me to go back to my gods again because I disavow them. The people of Moab are not my people anymore. The gods of Moab are not my gods anymore. Amen. Your people will be my people. Uh, amen. Your God will be my God. Ruth is making a dramatic decision in the most important area of her life. She's making the break from the idolatry of Moab to the worship of the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the greatest decision that she'll make in her entire life. It will define everything else in the story of Ruth. Her final commitment declares that the choice that she's made is, is final. Where you die, she says, I will die. And wherever you're buried, that's where they're going to bury me too. This statement is a declaration of Ruth's resolve. It's, this is not just a momentary flight of fancy. This is not just something that she's done on a whim. She said, this decision that I made right here, this is permanent. Uh, amen. I'm committing my whole life to this. Scholars say that the very mention of burial is significant here because her desire to be buried in Israel is a statement that her commitment to the God of Israel goes beyond this life and into eternity. You remember whenever... Jacob found himself in Egypt. He said, when I die, you're going to leave this land eventually because God promised Abraham 400 years you're going to sojourn there and then you're going home. And he said, when you go home, you take my bones with you because I want to be buried in the promised land. I want to be buried. I want everybody to know that my God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. And Ruth's declaration is the same as Jacob's. Amen. I pledge myself to you. I pledge myself to your people. I pledge myself to your God for all of eternity. Let me be buried there. Amen. She's committing herself for the rest of her life and beyond. She's abandoning everything she's ever known and pledging herself completely and fully to the God of the Hebrews and to the fate of Naomi. 
as we've already said, Ruth's choice is often regarded as one of the clearest examples of a conversion experience in the Old Testament. This is where she converts from the idolatry of Moab to the worship of the one true God. From this day forward, she'll no longer be a daughter of Moab. Instead, she'll be a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And she ends her statement with a very strong oath where she calls on the God that she has just committed her life to to bear witness to her words. Basically, she says, let God witness what I've said and judge me if I do not keep it. Amen. What are the promise I've just made? Amen. Let God be the witness and the judge. Verse 18 says that when Naomi saw that she, Ruth, was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. The firmness of Ruth's resolve finally stopped Naomi's insistence that she go back to Moab. Naomi could see that Ruth had made up her mind that she was not going to change, that she was not going to turn back, so she quit appealing to Ruth to go back to Moab. Now, I'm closing, but there are several good lessons here. I've told the story, and I've, I've not done a whole lot of preaching in between the points of the story, but there are several good lessons here that have to be learned. First of all, you don't have to remain in Moab. Your mistake doesn't have to be the end of the story. The good news is that God's mercy is still real. The good news is that there's bread in Bethlehem. Second, to return to Bethlehem, you have to leave Moab. That's the simple truth. It will change everything. If you're, if you're going to change the way you're going, if you're going to change the place where you are, if you're going to escape the judgment of God, then you got to go back to where you left. You got to go back to the altar. You got to go back to the house of God. You got to go back to where you parted ways with the blessings of God. Every journey back begins with an exit from Moab. Even if it's just one step, it's a step away from where you have been. Amen. And every single person with breath in their body this morning has the opportunity to take that first step. Finally, the, the strongest lesson in today's text is the proper response to temptation. Every time that you make a decision to do right, every time you start down the road to redemption, every time you turn to God and seek to follow after Him, your enemy is going to do to you what Naomi did to Ruth and Orpha. It's going to give you every opportunity to turn back. The devil is going to constantly encourage you to go back. He's going to throw every obstacle imaginable in your path. He, he'll make it seem as if the easiest course, the best course, the safest course is just to remain where you are, to keep things as they've always been, to, to, to maintain the status quo, uh, amen, just to, just to stay right in the middle of where you are. That's the only way uh, that it'll ever be okay. If you go after God, if you follow after God, if you do the things God's calling you to do, you're only going to make your life worse. Uh, you're only going to make things harder. Uh, it's going to cost you. 
That's what Ruth laid on Orpah and Naomi. It, you're going to sacrifice your hopes and your dreams. Amen. You're, you're forever going to be carrying around the, the heavy uh, weight of the, of the commitment that you made to those two Hebrew boys. You'll never be able to marry again. In our story, Orpah succumbed to that temptation. She started out with Naomi and Ruth. She started that journey with them, but over time, the constant invitation to return to her former life. Over time, the, that constant uh, talk by Naomi of going back home wore her down. And ultimately, she turned back. Too many people are like Orpah. They start well, but they lose their way somewhere along the way. But Ruth shows us how we're supposed to live. Ruth shows us how we're supposed to respond to temptation, how to overcome temptation. With every effort to get her to return to Moab, Ruth strengthens her resolve. With, with every effort to get her to turn back and, and stop the progress that she started, uh, she strengthens her desire to continue on the road that she's begun until she finally makes a declaration so strong that Naomi leaves her alone. That's how you got to respond when the devil starts trying to get you to turn back to your old life. When he starts trying to get you to pick up the old habits and things that had you bound before to go back to Moab. You have to pledge it yourself to God. You have to answer him with a firm statement of conviction. I will not go back. My mind's made up. I've settled the issue in my heart. Someone once said that when the devil comes to tempt you, anything less than an absolute no is a yes. You, you don't, if you say maybe, he takes that as an invitation just to keep going, to keep questioning, to keep tempting. If, if, if you give anything less than an absolute no, it's an invitation to continue to test your resolve. That's exactly what we saw unfold between Ruth and Orpah and Naomi until Ruth finally put her foot down and firmly refused. Naomi remained convinced that she might possibly persuade her to go back home, to go back to her mother's house. Temptation has to be met with resolve. Anything less than that is an invitation for the enemy to continue to tempt you. What I'm telling you is you can't flirt with sin. You can't play with sin. You, there, there are certain places you can't go because just being there puts you in a place to be tempted. And you know it and I know it. There are certain things you can't do. There are certain things that you can't be a part of. Amen. There are some people that, that, that it's detrimental to their salvation to, to have access to the Internet because they've been bound to pornography wrapped up in stuff that, that has, has literally ruled over them and just being there. Is temptation. And somewhere they've got to draw a line and say, you know what? I'm going to put the family, I'm going to put the, the, the computer in the family room where everybody can see it. And I'm going to take the time to make sure the devil knows I'm not going back to where I came from. That's the kind of decision. The scripture says in James 4 and 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Amen. The only way you can shut down temptation is the same way that Ruth shut down Naomi. Amen. You have to make a, a commitment and make it known. The road from ruin to redemption begins with a profound desire. I will not stay.
where I am. I will not remain in Moab. My God, I pledge myself to him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to pursue him. There's nothing that could get me to turn back. That's what Ruth committed herself to. Even beyond the grave, I am committed to God. Would you stand with me? The choice that forever changes Ruth's life, the choice that transforms her impossible situation in a beautiful story of undying love and devotion, is the choice to permanently shut the voice of her tempter up and settle the issue. I will not go back. See, Naomi saw Ruth as a liability. But it was that decision that transformed Ruth into the fountain from which the very blessings of God would flow into Naomi's life. Naomi thought having Ruth with her was going to keep her from getting fed. But Ruth's going to be the one that opens the fountain of blessing and preserves Naomi's life. Amen. That's that decision that forever changes the structure of her life. I understand this morning that I'm preaching to the choir. That I, we, we have a house full of people that are, you, you've been in church a long time. You're committed and dedicated to this thing. I just want to remind you as we talk about the story of Ruth that failure doesn't have to be final. And that when you start the journey home, this could be the day, amen, every one of us, there's a certain place of restoration we need to be in. There's a certain place of turning back that we need to embrace. So, but today could be the day that you take that first step back towards a prayer life, back towards a regular study of the Word of God, back towards a, a devotion, a commitment that maybe you've left behind somewhere. Maybe the affairs and cares of this life have gotten in the way and have caused you to stumble away from the altar of commitment you used to cling to. Today could be the day that you start. Orpah went back to Moab. We never hear another word about her. We know nothing about the rest of her story. But Ruth, Ruth is remembered through all the ages. Like I said it at wedding ceremonies, the words that Ruth said are echoed. The sentiments are felt. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I believe God's calling somebody in the sound of my voice on a Sunday morning just to make that kind of commitment all over again. Amen. I, I'm going to go back, God, to the prayer life. I'm going to go back, God, to that, that dedication. I'm going to go back, God, to what I, I know I should be. Maybe you're not living in Moab, uh, but you're not where you used to be. Amen. I'm going to go back. Uh, I'm going to take that first step. Uh, I, I know it's just a small thing. I know it's just a, a little step. It, it's not really all that significant. Amen. I'm just going to start down this dusty road. But that's enough to turn away from judgment and embrace blessing. I wonder if you could just take a few moments on a Sunday morning and lift your heart and lift your hands in the presence of God. And tell him, Lord, I want to make the right choice. I want to follow you, Lord. I want, to, I want to live like Ruth lived, Lord. I want to live a life that's committed and dedicated to you, God. I want to follow hard after you for all of my days, God. I, I commit myself to you for this life and beyond. 
in the name of Jesus.